Hey everybody, you're very welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Asking for a Parent Podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Nocturne, and it's a real pleasure to come and get a chance to chat to you all again. Uh, we hope you're doing okay out there. I mean, I think there's some, perhaps, green shoots of hope. Uh, we're seeing schools returning, we're seeing uh, life returning to some normality, we're seeing the vaccine rollout, maybe get some momentum. So, we're all hoping that people are doing okay, that the maintaining our four to seven is uh, we're doing that as much as we can uh, and that people are doing all right in the circumstances and that we're all surviving so on to today's episode we've got a really good episode this week i mean we're a bit late for international reading week which was the week before last but in light of that we had asked benji bennett who is a children's author and he's written the Adam's Cloud books uh, to be a guest on the podcast. But Benji's story is unique because it's one that involves the loss of a child uh, and some bereavement and grief. Uh, and so we're really grateful to Benji for coming on the podcast and sharing his experience with us. Some of the content may well be upsetting for many people because it may be a little bit close to home. So we just wanted to, to let you know that that was the, the content of today's uh, episode. But look, I really enjoyed the chat with Benji and I know you'll enjoy listening to it too. So without further ado, I'll let you on to this week's episode. Anyway, it's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week, children's book author, Benji Bennett. Benji and his wife, Jackie, have three kids, Harry, Robbie and Molly. But on the 13th of August, 2007, the unimaginable happened when his son, Adam, died suddenly without warning from an undiagnosed brain tumor, just four years of age. With a need to remind parents of the importance of spending time with their children and telling them that they love them every day, Benji began to write. And the months after losing his son, he established Adam's cloud in his memory. Uh, And one year to the day after he lost Adam, he published Before You Sleep, which instantly won the hearts of the nation. The message of read, walk, love is the philosophy that inspires Benji's books and has helped him to rebuild uh, wonderful happiness for both him and his family. And over the last years, we all struggled with really difficult times. I thought it was a good time to have Benji on the podcast to share his experience of coping, finding meaning and hope, even in the darkest times. And maybe we could all learn something from this experience. So without further ado, Benji Bennett, you're very welcome to the Asking for a Parent podcast. Thank Thank you very much for giving us the time. Not at all. It's a pleasure. And thanks for the opportunity to have a chat about all these wonderful and important uh, topics of conversation. So, Kamir, 2020-21 has been a year like no other. How has it been for you? I was on to my brother the other day who lives over in San Francisco saying, I'll give it about an eight because he just didn't have to go into work uh, every day. And, you know, his kids are all older. So he, he kind of uh, did OK. For me, it was ranging from a one to a 10 <laughs> at different times. So, so that, that's the honest answer. One minute, this is great. And then the next minute, it's, oh my God. So uh, o- overall, I would give it above average personally, um, not without it's, it's, it's difficulty in trying to figure it out. We are lucky that our kids are older. We have space. One is in college, one in second year, and one in sixth class. And... Thankfully, you know, all of the hard work we've been putting into them over the last 20 years now, I I think really that was the magic sauce for us that we'd already built a very strong relationship with them uh, to help us through and the respect in the family. And, you know, 
you know, it's it's when I say the respect, it's like, look, we're all closed down, we're all doing this together. So we kind of all work together on it. So overall, I'd probably give it about a six. Um, you know, so we've we've been have had some lovely lucky bits and some tricky bits. So so, uh, so you've the spread of the age ranges there in that you've a sixth class uh, second mm. year and in college so yeah um you're kind of getting an experience of the impact of all of this on from the primary yeah. school secondary school and college age groups yeah um, any thoughts on how that's gone for them or how it's affected them again we've been really really lucky so there's a couple of things in our setup that were were really lucky you know 30 years ago, myself and my wife bought a caravan in a park in Wicklow for the summers, and we still have that. So when any lockdowns were announced, we just came down to a, a caravan and we stay here. So on the 26th of December, for example, you know, we came down and we said, right, we're going to move down to British Bay, which is where we love, which is where Adam's bench is. And we've been here ever since. I'm still here now. And um, that was tough. It was dark and, and rainy. Um, my son Harry, uh, then he was in college and he kind of has this job. So he was up in Dublin on his own. And he was our biggest worry, actually, because he, at, at 20 years of age in college, well, my experience was it was just going out and having a great time and meeting friends. Whereas he, and we're really lucky with him, he's very, very focused. So, you know, he'd, he'd have his uh, weights in the house and uh, he was actually able to go into the library to, to study, so uh, which is su quite surprising. So he was kind of slightly isolated, whereas Molly and Robbie are very, very close. And they always have been. So we were down here uh, as a unit all working together. We were doing quite routine. The kids would do their, their homeschooling. I would do my work. We'd go out for a walk and we'd all have a lovely family dinner together. And then we'd watch a movie. And then we would go to bed. And that literally was our day for the last, since the 26th of December. So we were very lucky that Molly and Robbie are self-contained. And I, I, could, I can't imagine how difficult it would be if they didn't get on and they were clashing. Um, and we didn't have a little bit of space, um, you know, or, you know, they were in sharing a room or something like that. So we've been lucky. We've been very, very lucky. And as my dad says, you make your own luck as well. So there's, there's 20 years of, of hard parenting graft gone in there and a lot of sacrifices. So I'm hoping that that was our little reward for, for all of that hard work that went in. And there, there's, I suppose, the idea of, and we've heard an awful lot about resilience, you know, over the last yeah. year and how we've needed this. And uh, I, I'm not sure that we all need adversity to develop resilience, but your experiences of that, and I, I tried to, do it some justice in the intro there but mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about the experience of losing Adam when in 2007 and and maybe how that brought you to writing the books and maybe mm. to, to developing Adam's Cloud yeah well we were down here in British Bay that summer and it's only in hindsight when you look back I kind of go yeah Adam was a little bit off that summer he was just a little it just wasn't quite his get up and go self but Nothing you wouldn't think other than, you know, he, he's just chilling or whatever. But one day he came in and he was complaining of a headache on a Friday. Got really bad over the weekend, vomiting a lot. And then we brought him to the hospital on a Monday. And literally within an hour of being admitted, he had a seizure. 
his, his whole body went really, really uh, tight. And then he just flopped in my arms. And, and that was literally, you know, when we lost him. Obviously, modern, modern medicine kept him alive for enough time for us to all get together and say goodbye to him. So within, I think, 16 hours of that, he was he, he was gone. And it was an undiagnosed brain tumour that we knew nothing about. So we went from myself and Jackie clinking a glass of wine, uh, you know, coming towards the end of my summer holidays, counting our lucky stars, going we are so lucky our kids are amazing we love each other we have this lovely place near the sea in Wicklow and life couldn't be better and then <laughs> all of a sudden it was it was the, the rug was pulled out from beneath us and immediately when we lost Adam it was a, an overwhelming uh, emotional need came over me to remind parents just to spend time and tell the kids they love them because I'll always, and I always, I always talk about turning to Jackie and say, we will get through this. We will be okay. We loved Adam every day. We told him every day and we spent that time. And we need to just remind parents of the importance of that. And it, it isn't a kind of a fire and brimstone lecture of you have to spend time. It's more about just reminding parents uh, of, of just the importance of it and what it means for the children and for the family as a whole. Uh, particularly long term um, and how their relationships develop over time. So, you know, at that stage, Harry was six and a half and Robbie was one and Adam was gone and our life was just unbearably, uh, I wouldn't say sad, it was just unbearably grief stricken. So we had to grieve and we had this this unending pain um, inside us that would never go and a real fear of the future. And we went to a, um, a kind of a bereavement, Beaumont had a family bereavement day for families who had lost children through obviously brain, um, either injuries or, uh, and so on. And I remember, you know, seeing people there, they were kind of 10 and 11 years on, and this was their day this was their special day that they would go and they would let it all out and they would they would have their grieving day. But what I picked out of that was in 10 years, am I going to be like this as well? Is this it? Is this is this my life full of pain and 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 grief? And is it going to define me? So we made a decision at a very early stage of we're going to grieve positively and and beautifully and wonderfully and celebrate Adam. And and that was a decision that we made. And once we had made that decision to celebrate and, and grieve in a really positive way, that then trickled into how Harry would deal with the loss of his brother and how Robbie, who didn't know Adam, but how he would then merge into our family, you know, knowing that he had a, he had a brother. And then for us, the writing of the books and the, and the messages that they contain was something that, you know, made, gave me that kind of reason of why us, you know, so it's, well, okay, maybe this was, Adam was only ever supposed to be here for a short time and he came down to inspire something and, you know, you know, thankfully he picked me to do it. And whether we sell one books, one book or a billion books, you know, this, this is kind of what I have to do now. So, you know, did the resilience come from, you know, an inner strength. I do believe that my childhood, which was a really good, happy one, 
uh, in a loving family and a happy family with, with six kids in our family. And, you know, we all beat the head off each other, but we all minded each other as well. And, and then Jackie's from a large family as well. So I just think that between our ch childhood being happy, I don't feel I ever had any issues that I had to deal with coming from my childhood. So I think that was really where my personal resilience came from. And I'm hoping our actions, because uh, when I look at how strong Harry is now, I think his resilience came from how we've we managed him, not just because of the grief, but our, our family philosophy, you know. And in terms of the the idea of grieving positively, again, the difficulty of trying to do that, because I'm guessing in the mix of all that is anger and mm. injustice and frustration. How did you do that? Do you mind me asking? Yeah, no, not at all. So it, it's funny. I, I remember one stage, I, I, I remembered what the, whatever they are, the seven or the nine stages of grief are, which is blame, guilt, regret, uh, anger, understanding, and, and a few of the other things. But funny enough, the moment Adam died, we had a lot of boxes ticked on that. So we were very lucky. There was no blame. We had no regrets. And they were two big ones. The anger was, you know, what's the point? You know, um, and, and, and what I came to, I don't know whether I necessarily, well, I, I kind of do believe it. I kind of came to this conclusion that as human beings, you know, our, 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 our departure date is stamped on our heel, <laughs> on our way in, you know, and, and that's whether you believe in any kind of spirituality or, you know, any, any of that kind of stuff of we, we choose our life and the stronger spirits are the one who have had more uh, hardship through all of their different lives and all this kind of stuff. And you, you kind of think about those things. But for me, it is, you know, it became quite a practical thing of like, we are humans, we die, it does happen. And unfortunately, it's just happened to me. So we've got to, we've got to try and make the most out of this. That doesn't take away from the fact that we were beyond heartbroken and grief stricken and in horrible physical, emotional and mental pain. I mean, that's, I don't think you can ever not go through that. And it is something that you have to go through. And then it is a fight to get up every day and, and be positive. And of course, there were days where you're just, I'm not getting up today or I'm not fighting today. But then on those days, that's when the kids come into you and they just come in, uh, particularly Robbie, because he was one and didn't know anything. So Harry needed a different kind of minding because he lost his brother and he was six and a half. So he had a huge shock to his system. Whereas Robbie didn't really have a clue what was going on. So he would come in and his little bundle of happy energy was, was huge for us. And then we made a decision not to try and get Adam back, but to, to try and rebuild our family again. So we had uh, Molly and Molly arrived uh, within a year of us losing Adam. And that was a decision we were asking people, should we, and you know, should, should we go for another baby? And a lot of people were saying, no, don't do it. Uh, it's too early. And we just went, well, let, let's just see what happens. And for us, again, we were very lucky that it, it was a wonderful experience. And Molly is absolutely incredible. And she's, she's our one in six class now. So, yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of how we, we got through it, just by, by being positive and, and fighting every day. And, and our, my, Jackie and I, our relationship was very important. Again, 
you know, even now, we can't spend more than a half a day apart without you know, what you're doing or where you're going. Now, some people will go, oh, my God, I, I, I couldn't bear that at all. And, and everybody, everybody is different. But for us, we really got to a stage where we needed each other and we minded and supported each other. And when I was down in the dumps, she'd, you know, throw in the old uh, uh, rope ladder and pull me up it and vice versa. When she was down, I'd have to go in and save her from that, this pit of grief that she'd fall into every now and then. And that, that's how we did it. So we got through it as a family and we got through it by communication as well. And the idea around something that comes up all the time, Benji, is that explaining loss to children yeah. who are children themselves. And I'm thinking specifically, Harry was six yeah. plus. The, the idea of permanency of, yeah. you know, when is he coming back or trying mm. to... And, and you mentioned the idea of the spirituality of heaven or not, yeah. or, and people maybe struggling to lean on that explanation if that's not their yeah. own inclination and all the complexities about that. Can I ask you how you managed to explain that process or how that t- went? Because it is something that, yeah. that comes up a lot uh, through the loss of a parent or a sibling or something. Yeah, it, it, it is that impossible conversation that you have. And Harry's kind of quite unique. He's a very mature, kind of you know, thoughtful, focused kind of person. But back then, you know, Jackie being the mum, her, her number one priority in all of this was Harry's well-being. That was the number one. Because if we fell apart and we didn't deal with this right, Harry was going to end up having, dealing with this further down the line and probably not in a, in a good way. Um, you know, when you'd be older and it would potentially impact on his relationships going forward, etc. So the advice was um, at the time, now you're talking within 24 hours, you know, Adam was here, he's gone and we have to tell Harry. And so it's not like that you have a book an appointment and we talk through it and what we're going to say, it, this is fly of the moment stuff where you got to explain it. And the one thing that we were, we were told was don't lie to him. Just give it to him as it is. Try and soften the blow maybe as much as you can, but also make sure that uh, it's, it's, you get across the finality of it. So, you know, you can kind of give this false hope and then he's expecting something to happen. And in moments of trauma like that, and you probably know better than I am, in moments of trauma like that, when people say something or do something, that that's probably you know, the impact of that has a huge multiplier effect on maybe how you, you, you act going forward. So we both sat him down and we just told him what happened. We said, Adam got really sick. It was in his head and the doctors did their best to try and save him and they weren't able to. And it was just his time to go. And so Adam is dead. You know, we, we said that Adam died and that means that you won't see Adam again. But we'll always remember Adam and the, we, you will have pictures of him and he will always be your brother. And, you know, Harry's reaction was very kind of calm uh, when we told him it was it was it was lovely, actually. Um, and we all hoped. And I think we all when we brought Adam home from the hospital, we Harry and Adam had shared a room together and Adam was in the bunk bed. So we brought in, oh God, sorry, probably an emotional thing of this. We we brought in our the mattress from our room 
and we put it in there and we all slept in in the room with Adam. He was in the bed and we were just beside him. And so he saw him. He slept there with them and and he 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 didn't see him smiling or waking up or giggling anymore. So so not that we, this was planned in any way and not to say that it was the right or wrong thing to do. That's just what we did. And I remember, you know, always saying to him, you know, as the weeks went on, said, you know, Adam is your brother. Like he, he's a little angel and, and he loved you so much. And he's always, oh God, he's always going to be on your shoulder. He's always going to guide you and direct you and mind you and take care of you. And funnily enough, Harry, as I keep on saying, when I die, I'm coming back either as my dog or Harry, because Harry, he makes his own look, but he he's, he's just such a, a wonderful um, guy. He's very happy. He's doing well everywhere. And he brings, he brings a bit of luck onto himself. Do you know what I mean? If he only believes in that secret book, if you think positively, good things happen. And, and he has a bit of that. And I like to think it's Adam keeping an eye on him. But at the end of the day, it's really him doing what he does and, and being strong that way. And so that's, that's kind of how we explained it to, to him. And did, it, did the grief, I mean, obviously it's such a big thing to take on a six-year-old. You, you can't really get your concept around it or your head around it. Did it, would it have come back years later where he would have come back with better, bigger questions or? No, no, because we talked about him a lot. Like Adam was like, we were writing the books about him and Adam became this character and then he'd, he'd be in the books with Adam. And, you know, you'd be saying, but that, that's where he lives now. So there was never any, you know, the big uh, question of, well, where is he now? And I, I've no idea whether that was because of how we told him in that moment and, and made it final. And, you know, he's gone to heaven and he's up with Granddad Joe. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. see, you know, and, and you know better than anybody, like all kids are different. You know, there's Harry didn't, you know, he, he wasn't overly emotional and crying all of the time and 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 making, you know, this this big thing of it. He was very thoughtful and considerate and calm. And then, you know, one of the nieces or the nephews, they'd be, you know, bawling crying because they're looking outward in at the pain of all of us and the loss of Adam. But Harry was incredibly strong. He like we're we're, we're so proud of him. And you know, I actually ended up probably replacing a lot of Adam. I, I had to become Harry's best friend. And I often talk about playing, you know, Lego Star Wars with them. And, you know, there's two little characters on the screen and, you know, Harry, you go and I'll be Adam and I'll follow after you type of thing. So, but thankfully there wasn't, there wasn't any other big questions. Uh, the, the, the only wonderful thing is, you know, what Harry said probably like three years ago. And it was lovely. He said, you know what, mum and dad, in fairness, when it came to Adam, sorry, he said, when it came to Adam, you nailed it with me. And that was, was a massive, massive, I don't know, feeling of thank God he's okay because he's coming back to us. And maybe that was his big question. I don't have any questions. You nailed it and we didn't fall apart and, you know, so and that took work. <laughs> that took a lot yeah, of hard work. That's some testimonial, though. It, you know, it's, it's huge. I mean, you, you, you saw me just getting emotional there. You know, thinking about it. So that was, 
that was, you know, given what we went through to to raise somebody who who is a great guy and he's doing well, he's ticking all the box and anything a parent would want him to tick the box. In. And then he says, through all of this, you nailed it. Well done. You kind of go. Ooh. But it's like so, you said when when Jackie when it happened, he was Jackie's priority, and yeah, so yeah. he he is going to be the only voice of experience yeah. of a critique of how it went that's going to matter. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that. One thing that is really important uh, to say here is that, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously Harry's dad and, you know, by my own admission, I won't speak for all dads, but in my experience, most dads are thick when it comes to really knowing uh, and understanding the kids the best. So really that kind of comment, as much as I will take uh, at least 50% of the praise on it, to be honest with you, Jackie did so much. She was always, you know, on a mind. Are you, yeah, not overly cotton wool stuff, but she, she's just intuitive. Jackie, Jackie's, we're very lucky to have Jackie and the kids with her as much. She's very intuitive and she knows what the kids need before they're asking for it. So the, the kids might go, I'm, and she'd throw a bowl of carrots down in front of them and you go, oh, I want a carrot, you know. So, and, and that's not easy and not everybody can do that. It, it's really hard. And I think if you spend the time with the kids, you kind of get to know them a little bit better, which means you can anticipate what they need and then you can give it to them before they get upset about something. And I'm only just thinking out loud now, and it's the first time I've thought about this, maybe that's the magic ingredient of raising kids, not all of the stuff that we worry about, but it's just getting to know them and trying to understand their specific needs, because as we all know, every child's needs are totally different. And, you know, it's a tricky one. One of the things that really struck me what you said there was about having no regret. Um, and yeah. when you have a window of time so short as mm. four years, um, the and I've heard you speak before about the importance of that early bit. And, and I think the brief window that Adam spent with us really makes that precious. Doesn't it? It brings into focus the, you know, people say, oh, my childhood was a blur and I don't remember mm -hmm. this and I don't remember that. And can you tell me a little bit about your re review of that or your importance of that or what you've learned through all of that? So. Well, just picking up on something you said, you know, my childhood was, was a blur and I don't remember much stuff. Um, and it's funny, like kids never remember the rain in the summer. Like, you know, it's one of those things. You only remember the nice stuff that you want to because, you know, the rainy days are, you know, yeah, there's loads of them. But, you know, my memories and I don't know, you tell me if, if, if a lot of people are the same when they think about their childhood, they think of all the fun stuff that they did. Now, maybe that's because me, because I thankfully I didn't have any really horrible stuff happen to me. So, again, everybody is different. And, and you know, again, I, 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 I am so lucky. So that, that early time and, and not having the regrets is is it's, it's huge. I, I just said to Jackie the other day. So for the last 12 years, I've been working on my own. And it started off in a, in, a, in, a, in a two by two foot table in the corner of, of uh, the kids room to a slightly bigger table in, in a box room in our house. Do you know what I mean? So, and I only just said it just to, just to the other day that I have spent 
the last 12 years working at home, being there in the morning, being there when they come home from school, being there for dinner, except for times when I might have to travel for a week or something and come back, but I've been there. And I kind of went, I didn't even get enough. Do you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't even get enough time with them. And God, how much stuff did I miss? You know, even when I was there. Um, and when I was working in Vodafone and when Adam was, was uh, alive, it was, you know, I wasn't in the house, uh, but I'd be there in the morning, you know, and they'd wave me off to school or to work or I'd wave them off to school or whatever. I go to the office for the day, I come back and I would read them the bedtime story because I hadn't seen them all day and we'd have dinner together. And interestingly enough, even though I was working as a way all the time, I don't feel I missed much. Uh, it's weird. So, you know, spending the time and kicking the ball and reading the stories, you know, we were talking about resilience earlier. That, day, that definitely gave me my resilience to get through uh, what had happened. Um, and Adam was, was so happy and so inspiring. And we know we gave him everything we could have. Um, time, love, energy, nature, everything. And we give that to all of our family. And I think that's, that's, the, that, that's my secret sauce of, of um, and thankfully none of our kids are diagnosed with, with, with anything. You know, they've all got their little uh, quirks and nuances and idiosyncrasies and all. Uh, so, you know, we all have that, but as a collective and as a whole, we're all, we all operate well together because we do those things. We make that effort to make time. We make that effort to get out in nature. You know, we've had the battles and battles and fights and rows over screen time and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and in fairness to Jackie, she said, if we give in, that's it. We give in, we give in forever. So, and, and that is, that is a constant battle. And thankfully, you know, so far we, we, we think we have a balance on that kind of screen time, social media. And we talk to the kids about all of that because we've, we've built up that communication those lines of communication right from birth. And, and if you, you know, if you get those lines of communication <clears throat> and time and energy early on, and we were talking about, about these neurons that I was saying, <clears throat> I, I wrote this article called the big bang brain theory for kids is that when children come out, you know, it's, a, it's like the big bang, it's the universe. Their brain is a mini universe and it's total chaos and there's stuff flying around. And then, you know, the planets are formed by these neurons being connected and some order starts happening. And I, I, I have a lovely philosophy that gives me a, a smile all of the time. And I think of it is that every time a neuron is connected in the brain, if, if at that moment a child experiences happy love, a smile, a giggle, nature, beauty, wonder, magic, whatever it is, it gets locked in in that neuron. So the more the more love and happiness and giggles you can give to them from those formative years, the more you're just going to lock in a positive, happy uh, being uh, within them. And it starts from the day they're born. I, I'm out a lot and I'm and I'm I'm when I'm selling or when I used to sell face to face when we were able to get out and about. I'd, I'd have a lot of, of, of chats and the pregnancy and baby fair was always one I, I, I love to do because you're, you're talking to expectant mums for the first time. And I always say to them is that the, for me, the most important thing you can do is, is get a lovely book, snuggle them up and read to them 
from the minute they're born, they're born from the moment, because when you think that a child comes out, you know, with a mush of, of madness going on and they can start kind of talking and communicating within, you know, 12 or 18 months, you know, obviously there's a huge amount going on during that time. And I often talk about when you read with them, it's not just about the, the language and the communication and the, those, all those cognitive things that, that come out. It's about the sound of your voice, the beat of your heart, the warmth of your embrace and that invisible energy of, of love and connection. You can't measure it, but it's there. And, and that's really, for me, where it starts. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, something I believe strongly in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we, we just come out of National Book Week. I think it was last mm. week or the week before. I was part of that campaign. I was asked about the experience of reading and the importance of it. Um, and I thought about it, you know, thinking about, you know, obviously the articulation of language and being able to mm. put words on emotions and everything else. But I always tell the story of my, when my little lad was young, my sister bought me this uh, book, basically, that you tape your voice into it and it records mm. it. And then as they turn the page, it reads the thing. Yeah. And I remember thinking, isn't that a lovely thing now that mm. I can give him? So if I'm off doing a talk or something out in yeah. the part of the country, that he'll have my voice to listen to. Yeah. And then I thought, actually, maybe that's a tragic gift because if he has a self-reading book, mm. like he he's heard the night before Christmas a hundred times in yeah. June or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is not about the story. It's about the time with me. Mm. So it's about the connection. It's about yeah. the snuggles, the cuddles, the, as you say yeah. that. And I would always say there's no app for your lap. You know, yeah. from the point of view of that, that there's something about that human connection, which again comes back to the idea of where you were talking about the, the neurons firing and that, mm. like the trajectory between a zero month old and a four year old mm. is a four year gap. Mm. I don't feel terribly different as a 43 year old than I did as a 39 year old. In their yeah. life, it's so, yeah. the, the, the neuron firing thing is, is so yeah. essential. And yeah, yeah. there's a lot of school of thought that would say that in the first year and a half of a child's life, the hard yeah. wiring of the personality is yeah. formed, you know, yeah. uh, and I would subscribe to that. And I think one of the things I talk about a lot is something I don't really understand. And I don't believe anyone else does either, which is temperament. Mm. You know what I mean, I think it's such yeah. an important part of who we are, but we just don't know how to influence it or change it or fix it. Yeah. Or, uh, but the idea that, I suppose you have that time. And I think there's a lot of people worrying. There's a lot of things in what you're talking about that I'm thinking about over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. The idea of ceremonial goodbyes. I mean, mm -hmm. that has really been affected in the last 12 months when we haven't yeah. been able to do that. The yeah, idea yeah. of newborns not mm -hmm. seeing other people outside of their bubble or not mm -hmm. being introduced to the world. And I've had a lot of emails and worries about new moms, about how is this all going to impact on them yeah. you know I mean? um yeah. would you have any thoughts on those two sides of things having had that personal um, experience let, let me go on the newborns i think uh, uh, okay so i'm not a trained psychologist and this is only an opinion of, of a crazy old fellow who's, who's who's got certain views and philosophies on things and i personally i wouldn't really worry 
in the first year? Because I know there's these all these play groups that the kids and they beat the head off each other and whack them over the head with Lego and they fight and they do all that and that's all part of it. But certainly the first the first year is, you know, if you go back to the cavemen, you know, you're in a cave and you, you're there and you're, you're, you're minded and you're protected from the world and slowly but surely you're, you're released out into the wild. So those informative years, actually, there was another, yeah, I don't know if I wrote the article on it or whether it was just something that, that has occurred to me, but the, um, you, as your children start engaging with other people, you, they become influenced with the outside world, okay? And there's a lot of good influences in the outside world and there's a lot of bad influences in the outside world. So my, my, I, I'm, I put my money on myself and say, right, let's, let's keep them as close to us as we can. And obviously give them those experiences in the outside world. But if we can, if we can really focus on, you know, our beliefs and our connections and our communication where the bond is the, is the strongest, in those early years, keep them close and then move them out. So that, that, that's my philosophy. So I wouldn't worry so much that a lot of the newborns in the last year are missing out. Maybe the fours and five-year-olds, you know, they're going to be the ones who are missing that interaction. And, you know, God bless all the parents out there who are struggling with their own situation um, and then trying to mind the kids as well. That that that's that's a really really difficult situ and a worrying situation to be in. And they can only do their best. On the um, the other question that you had was the absence of ceremony. Oh, sorry. For me, going back to Adam and uh, what I got, it, it wasn't necessarily the ceremony event of the funeral. It was the actual emotional energy that was in the church with a crowd of, of people who, who, and the outpouring of grief that you would receive. I think that is, is a huge loss for anybody because I know for myself that knowing that there was so many people, you know, there for you and, you know, um, they're, they're all in a church together. They will come afterwards and they will sit down and talk to you about whatever. And you'll giggle and laugh at these. Like funerals are the weirdest things when you, you're, you're in such grief because it's just like another day half the time. And there's those three days from death to burial that is it's so busy and it's so shocking. But that ambient energy from all of the, those people are going to be there for months ahead. And that's what I think is, is the biggest loss for people, that they don't have that, that ambient energy from all of the, the people, you know, both in the church and afterwards. And I remember my, one of my hardest days was, you know, a day or two just after the funeral and all of a sudden everything was quiet. Everybody was gone. And I literally sank to my knees. I fell to my knees and I just broke down and I went, shit, like, where is everybody now? But at the same time, that energy that we had from every, everybody was something that we had and that gave us a lot of strength. So, yeah, anybody who's lost loved ones. Yeah. And I've been to funerals, you know, and I've, and I've carried my, my best friend's mum, Kaufman, who was only, you know, 10 in the church. And you're just going, what, what kind of send off is this for her? Um, as well so they, they deserve better 
So I, I can't imagine how difficult that is for people. It's just a, a, you, you capture that so beautifully with the uh, atmosphere or the ambience of support. Mm. You know, that yeah. you, you, and again, and I, like anyone, probably would have been critical of Irish funerals in terms of, you know, the, the, the serial funeral attenders. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it, yeah. the, when we miss it, when it's not there. And I always remember, you just reminded me of one of my best friends, his dad died, and he said the hardest was when everyone left. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Three days of the funeral piece yeah. is, and it is that really unusual time where there's probably that a healthy piece of demand. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Of it. And, and, and that's, and that's a huge thing. And without us, it, it, it's awful. And, you know, to, to not anybody who, who, who didn't have it and, and, and to be able to say that goodbye properly, you, you just mentioned there about um, the serial kind of funeral goers. You know, I would all, I would always, you know, if I knew people, you know, really, really well, if I didn't know them too well, I'd say, oh, look, I don't want to interfere and get into, I didn't really know them that well, maybe. But now I'm at the age, I'm at the stage of where I kind of go, Jackie, we're there for the family. They just want support. And another body in the church is another is another bit of energy that helps them through. So it's it's not just there to go and celebrate the loss of somebody. It's just there to support the family and add to that energy that will will resonate over you know weeks and months ahead. And that that's kind of why I tend to try and make a point of going now. But again, over the last year, we've probably seen two different things of the absence of something that we took for granted. And I think we talk about, you know, hugging our grandparents or seeing our yeah. elderly people. And, and it has maybe given us this realignment of our value systems, which I don't think has necessarily been a bad thing. I think it's been really good to, to ground us in being able to prioritize the important pieces. With the loss of those things, it tends to amplify the experience of something that, again, could be taken for granted. And when we talk about time with our children, you know, we do think about when I remember childhood, you'd, you don't think about the forgettable parts. Mm -hmm. You think about the bits that are memorable. And we did a piece of research a few years ago, and I always remember this as asking about family connection and family bonding. And the things that young people were saying was, I, I loved it when dad and me made a fort with the cushions from the couch. Or yeah. I remember they were all experiences, not mm -hmm. things. You know, there was nothing about, oh, you know, when we had 200 people in the garden with a marquee for my communion yeah. and I arrived in a Hummer, it was amazing. None of them was, it was about connection. And so yeah. the idea of probably where we've stripped it all back this year has been kind of a, a refocus on time yeah. and quality connection and, yeah. and meaningful connection and when you said that you know when you weren't maybe there all the time when but when you were there you were there you yeah know, and, and that connection and I do think we have to maybe take the last year as a, re, a way of refocusing attention do you know what I mean? yeah. on what it is that we you know I, I also remember the one story I'll let you come back in on this there was a kid who came to me and she said it was in a family therapy session and she said, I feel invisible. Mm. And her mum jumped in with, I bring you here, I bring it there, I bring you there. <laughs> and, yeah. and she said, but you never ask me how I am. Mm. Mm. And I remember it just hit me that this, like this mum, to the best will in the world, was doing yeah, yeah. everything yeah. that she could for yeah. her daughter. But she was asking for something different. And yeah. it was, you couldn't be critical of anyone in that room, but you could also yeah. see that both truths were different. 
is it something that we've probably reassessed? I'm kind of glad you, you brought that up because it's it's fired off a thought in my in my mind just now that I've, I've never really thought of before. And if I can try and articulate this, there's probably a few bits to it. But the first thing is we, we've all spent a last year spending lots of time together. OK, and. You know, you might think, yeah, we spent loads of time with the kids, but that that's it's false time really, because it's forced on you, you're you're you've no choice and you have to be all together, and it's under a stressful environment of, of worry, pressure, how are the numbers today? You know, oh my god, you're driving me mad. So and and probably time spending time is probably more important now than it ever was in the last year. And ironically, it's probably less time but more focused and more concentrated because we've had this abundance of time that's just nothing it's just living and moving around and how we and shut up and whatever it goes on but now it's to try and spend that focus time to create you know those uh, experiences of of connection and particularly through nature as well i mean you know some of my strongest memories are you know, down the beach or up a mountain or in a park or watching the kids jumping in puddles or whatever, you know, and they remember those things as well. So that's the the first thing is that the time now really needs to be uh, more concentrated uh, on them and focused on them and, and reconnecting again, because I'm guessing, and there's no evidence to this, I'm guessing that a lot of connections have been lost, even though you're all in the same room at the same time. So, and when I think of Harry as well, uh, like he's 20 and all he wants is a chat. Do you know what I mean? Like he's 20, comes in, can, you, can we have a chat? And he's like, turn off the TV, come on, can we have a chat? Because, you know, he, he wouldn't see us uh, uh, as much now because he'd be in college and so on. And I think that that is something when, when the, and we see these in movies all the time. You know, those scenes in movies where there's a kid and there's something on their mind and they're just about to say something and then the gobshy dad kicks in. He goes, do you know what we're going to do today? Oh, what were you going to say? And the kid goes, oh, nothing. It doesn't matter. So it's to try and, it's to try and capture those moments and know, knowing when not to talk and knowing when to talk and, and knowing when to create the magical moments that I call them that, that uh, give people their, their inner strength and their resilience and their happiness and their, their DNA for being a, a good, strong, you know, positive person. So, yeah, so what, you, what you've touched on there is, is something we've got to recalibrate our time again in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of different way. And, you know, we're all delighted when the kids go back to school because you go, great, right, I've got 10 minutes on my own here now. And then when they come back in, then you can say, how was your day in school? Rather than how was your last Zoom class, you know? And how's your next Zoom class? And have you got your homework done? And, you know, what's wrong with the internet? And all that sort of stuff. So. It'll be, yeah, it'll, it's, it'll be uh, interesting times to see how we all uh, figure that one out. Probably coming out of things, and again, it's so ambivalent, you know, we're kind of hopeful with vaccines and high numbers, and then we feel so lonely for the outside world, but we've no time to ourselves, and it's just a very yeah. discombobulating time. But time has made, time has made fools of us, uh, unfortunately. Mm. But there's one thing I did want to get to before we finished was the message of read, walk, and love can you talk us through that in terms of for parents listening about what those values mean for you 
let me kind of introduce that in a little way. Uh, first of all, I I have this kind of what's the word I'm looking for metaphor for a family um, and how it works as the human heart. So the human heart is four chambers. So you've got a mum, a dad, and let's say you've got two kids. And if one of those chambers isn't working properly, the heart doesn't pump and the body just feels crap. It doesn't look well. It doesn't feel well. It doesn't have energy. Just one of one part of it, 25% of it, if, it's, if that's not doing its bit, uh, it, it doesn't work. So I often talk about this is that, you know, you know, in parenting, it's not just about being a parent. It's making sure that the kids are contributing as well, because it can't always be one way. So and that's why I'm always talking about those informative years. It's like, you know, you have to, you know, help tidy up after the dinner or no, you have to come for the walk. And no, you can't be on that all day long because you go nuts when you're on the telly all day or the computer or the iPads or whatever it is. So, you know, and then we're all in this together. And for me, as an analogy, um, that really works. So, and I say, it's like we're all in this together. It can't just be us. So in saying that, and the read, walk, love, they, they're the kind of things that you can do to make sure that the chambers are working properly. So if you read to a child, you know, uh, mum and dad are reading to the two kids. So you're all working and, and the emotion is, is, is being transferred between everybody. And, and the reading, as I've said, for me, it's, it's you know, there's all of the reasons, you know, uh, for, for reading and particularly as the kids go on that connection. But for me, it's those informative years, you know, the, the one to four, even though my books are up to kind of nine or whatever. But they're, they're very much from when they were born because they create a powerful emotional bond, a loving bond they, that's a, becomes unbreakable. So that's the reading bit. And I think that is one of the bedrocks of of getting it right because it opens up the lines of communication and it brings that energy and that emotion and that bond and that love together and nobody knows what it is but it's just reassurance and it's that warm happy feeling and i often talk about the front page of before you see it that has a picture of adam and he's holding a teddy and he's smiling i often hold that book up and i go what if every child went to sleep looking like that every night and being told that they're loved you know and everyone goes, oh, my God, they'd all be they'd sleep happy. They dream happy. They'd wake up happy. They'd be happy. So that's my that's my thing on the, on the reading. The, the walking, you know, I was asked recently, am I a spiritual person or a religious person? Yeah. You know, like everybody, I did my novena for the for the leave and cert and I'd say me prayers and all that sort of stuff. But since Adam died, nature has definitely become my my spiritual energy. Um, it, it's just so wonderful. And even before uh, Adam died, we would always be out. We would always be bringing them, as Jackie would say, just open the door and just walk out the front door and see where it goes. Whether you walk out the front door and into the car to go somewhere or walk out the front door and just go into the park, there's always an adventure and there's always a story and there's always a moment that's hiding away just to be found by walking out your front door. And that's why walking is when you're walking together in silence, and there might be a few words or, or in, in, in our uh, experience, you're going for a walk and the kids are just yapping away. And it's amazing what they'll actually inadvertently tell you 
oh, my friend in school did this or whatever. They actually, it's like a full confession for children because, <laughs> you know, they're just, because they're feeling, they're feeling uh, comfortable and safe and they, they want the chat and they love it. And then they run away and then they come back and they explore. So that's the walking side. And the love bit is, you know, love really, you know, I'm not going to use the expression that we all know of conquer all, but which you just did. But for me, love just doesn't happen on its own. Love, love is kind of the blood that needs to be pumped around. And if you're not pumping, you know, it around, it 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 just stops moving. And it is it is the one thing that makes you feel that kind of happy butterfly happy inside you know when you're kind of feeling really good about something you don't know what it is you're just having a good day just the way you can have a bad day as well but you're kind of oh feeling really good to you know love gives you that kind of feeling and they're the three things so reading is your connection your bonding walking is your communication and your chats and your exploring and spiritual side of things and love is really the the big outer balloon that everything lives inside so that's um it's it's really interesting because i think when when you do something like this podcast you get people who ask the question about what will i do mm. with, now that this has happened mm. and I, I always say that you know the relationship with your child doesn't happen in the crisis it happens yeah. beforehand it happens right the way through so yeah. everything that you're doing is investing in yeah, yeah. that uh their, your availability, your your honesty, your authenticity, your realness, yeah. and by reading, walking, and loving, that's not something that you're going to, you know, in, in terms of, if I brush my teeth for five hours, it's not going to make any yeah. difference, but if I do it yeah. three times a day, every day, and so it's fulfillment, it's not yeah. about gratification, it's yeah. not about, we'll read a book, go for a walk, and I'll love you for a half an hour, it's that it's keeping the philosophy going that pays yeah. the dividend. And I, I just really love that, the, the simplified way of doing that. So before we go, if people did want to find uh, Adam's Cloud's books and yeah. where would they go, how do they get them and where would they learn more? Yeah, so adamscloud.com is the website. So all the books are for sale up there. You know, some of my blogs and some of my, my, my TV stuff is up there as well. I don't always have the answers and it's not a prescriptive thing I have. It, it's more of a philosophy approach that I have to things. Everything is there. But one thing on the read, walk, love just that occurred to me there. Another really important thing is the no word. And saying no is really hard. And it's often the most important thing as well. And, you know, never be afraid to say no. And even if the kids go, I hate you. You know, that's just because they it's the only way they know how to communicate sometimes. But yeah, it's like, yeah, it is, it is. And I always kind of think if you can get if you can get that little bit in early and balance it, balance the yeses with the noes. And it's always kind of whenever you can say yes to time and whenever you can say no to stuff, which is good because I'm, I'm a mean old fart. So I don't like spending too much money on stuff. So no, you can't have that. But yeah, we'll have a chat and a walk or whatever. So you know, the instant graphic, that doesn't mean I don't buy them on ice cream. And stuff. Mm. Of course I do. But yeah, it, it, it gives them that sense that not everything is just on demand and there for them. They have to kind of realize that it's, it's got to be and it, Again, that's come up so much over the last few months around the difference between giving, as the grown up in the room, we have to give them what they need, not what they want, you know, in mm. some respects. And, uh, and, and knowing that you're, 
you listen you can listen to somebody without agreeing with them mm. and i think if we can get that you know i feel listened to even though i don't feel agreed with yeah um it goes a long way but listen benji bennett thank you so so much for your time your oh, honesty uh, and that wonderful story that that time has just absolutely flown yeah um, <laughs> I wish you and your family well, and no doubt we will speak again, but uh, for anyone who has any questions around or any thoughts around Benji's uh, story, you can get them in touch to us with askingforaparent at gmail.com or getting to the Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram pages. But uh, until next time, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. That was Benji Bennett there, the author of the Adam's Cloud series. and. Just, it was a real privilege to get to listen to Benji's story. And I know throughout that interview, he got emotional at points and I was a bit emotional myself. Uh, it's a really harrowing story of, of loss, but also a, a hopeful and inspirational story of recovery, if that's a word that you can use, but um, the ability to be resilient and come back from what is Undoubtedly, our worst fear as a parent is the loss of a child, but um, it was a really insightful and inspiring conversation with Benji there, so I really wanted to thank him for that. And further inspiration will be coming next week, where we hope to have one of our Young People's Listeners episodes. So this is a, a series, a collection of voices of young people on the anniversary of one year of lockdown to share with us as parents their experiences of lockdown life and school closures and all that and I have to say it's a fantastic collection of experiences that I think we'll all learn from so I'm really looking forward to, to getting that it's just taking a little while to put that together because we have a lot of voices that we want to be able to represent in a way a clear and coherent way that makes sense to everybody who's listening but we hope to have that out next week that's the young person's voices episode and until then take care stay safe and bye for now.